you yeah. 
Well, Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it be lifted up today. We thank you that you speak, Lord, that it be your truth, Lord. And Father God, we just thank you that no power or spirit that tries to come in and exalt itself above your name or your word shall have its way in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, the Lord was been talking to me specifically about the attitude that we have in life and the attitude that we can get when we go through certain things. And um, the Lord was then speaking to me about what type of creatures He likes to identify Himself with. So the Lord identifies Himself with certain things in the Bible. So we know that He's a king, He's a priest, and then he identifies himself with uh, a certain, a few creatures. Um, I noticed that one of them was the Yurok or the ox. Um, I noticed that one is the eagle, then the lion. He's also a lamb. You know, sometimes we always lambs, and that's why some things, we don't have the authority to do certain things. Sometimes you've got to be a lion, you know? <laughs> And the ox has the ability to work and has the strength, you know. So the two that I wanted to focus on was the lion and the eagle. And um, I'll just read some facts, or the Dylan facts. But first we'll go into scripture. So one of the words that, that I found a lot in the Bible was bold and boldness. The disciple preached boldly the word of God and the gospel. They had a boldness about them. You can't obtain grace and mercy without entering in boldly. Amen. So there needs to be a boldness about you and there needs to be a character and you need to have this type of attitude towards certain things. You know, we go through certain things in life. So just because we get born again doesn't mean we now pass through into the land of no more trouble. You understand? So that means attitude is a very important part of our character. Amen. So the one scripture I got is Proverbs 28 verse 1. I think that's the right one. Uh, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. In this time and in this season, and I think this is for a couple of people, God's looking for lions. He's looking for lions. Because there's all sorts of confusion and things that go on in our lives. And sometimes we need to have the attitude of a lion. And what I like about the lion is it's not the biggest in the African bush. Out of all the creatures. It's not the heaviest out of all the creatures. And the lion is not the strongest either. But what separates him from the rest is the way he sees himself. So some people these days, they like to turn your humility into humiliation. They try and say that your boldness is arrogance. It's not arrogance when you know what God's given you what to do. You've been given a word. God spoke to you. He said, go and do it. And then because you do it with courage and boldness people 
that are more like, you know, like hyenas or pigeons or ducks. They always quack a lot, you know, and they say a lot, but they've got a lot of vision but very little action. So then when other people run with the baton, they have a big problem with those people because they want to work hard. They want to take the baby God gave them and nurse it, not fall asleep and smother it until it dies. Amen. So the people that fall asleep on their baby, you know who they are because they're always trying to accuse you of certain things that you know. God gave me that as a mandate. God gave me this baby. I've been looking after this baby. Just because you fell, on, fell asleep on your baby doesn't mean now that I'm going to start behaving like you or start leaving what God gave me alone. Everybody spiritually has a vineyard or a garden. And it's our duty to cultivate that garden. Amen. It's our duty to run with the baton that God has given us in our season and to cultivate the attitude of a lion. Amen. So, um, I want to read Hebrews 4 verse 14 because I think it's convenient. Seeing then that we have a great high priest... Oh, this is a good one for because we'll take the offering in a moment. So, since he's a priest, what did priests do in the Old Testament? They took offerings. So, Jesus is our high priest now, so I think we can still take offerings. I read also in the book of Acts that when Barnabas gave up his life and moved into, into his position as a preacher, he sold all his land and he put it at the feet of the apostles. You understand? So even in Africa, there was this man of God who came from America, was ministering to people, salvations, everything. They're, going, they're doing well, but they weren't prospering in a certain way that he knew they could. And God rebuked him. He said, because they're poor, you never want to take offerings from them. But you're denying them the, the opportunity to partake in the things of God and to operate in the kingdom. So for me, they can bring all sorts of scriptural things that tithing might not be mentioned in the New Testament. I see people that gave their lives and gave the, the, their substance. That, 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 that thing that Jesus said about the camel going through the eye of the needle is for every single one of us. If you can't be faithful with the little that you begin, or even unrighteous man, uh, mammon, how can you be faithful with those things that are of the Spirit or from heaven? from the kingdom amen so seeing then that we have a great high priest that just went down uh, that is passed into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession in other words you need to hold fast to your confession don't stop confessing those things because of what's going on in your life don't stop working the garden and don't stop plowing the field the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold so when the weather is going bad, oh, well, I don't think I should be um, keeping my word. I'm not going to give 10% anymore because I need that 10% to feed myself. You're not operating by faith. If, 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 you, if you were speaking to God two years ago and you said, this is what I'm going to do, and you had a covenant with him per se, he'll keep that word and he'll perform it. Amen. You hold fast to your profession. Because if you don't plow when it's cold and you don't plow when it's not looking good and you don't want to do things when they're not looking good because you're down and out, you'll beg in harvest time. Simple as that. 
That's what the word of God says. For we have no high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldness. Amen. Boldness. Um, one of the things that I wrote also is that when you think of the lion, you've got to think of a leader. And not all of us are maybe preachers or evangelists. Or we're not per se a leader of people, but we've always been given something to lead in our own personal lives. Everybody has something that they lead the way in. Amen. Every single one of us. So no matter how many um, lectures you go through on uh, maybe finances or business management or how many people you know or how many, if you don't have the right attitude, you'll never become the leader that God has called you to be. If you don't have the, you can have all those things, all the mathematical sums put together, all the right measurements, but if you don't have the right attitude, you're going to go down. You understand? That's just the way life works. Amen. So, I said number one, the lion has the spirit of leadership. The lion has an attitude which makes it different from the rest. Amen. The lion is not the tallest, I mentioned that, not the largest, not the heaviest. The lion is also not the smartest or most intelligent animal in the African bush. You don't have to be too clever or a clever Trevor to pass in life or to succeed. I know some people that might not be the brightest, but because they have the right attitude and they have confidence in themselves, they succeed very well. Amen? Some people, they, 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 they're not even the brightest people, but they're faithful. There's so many people in church, oh, God gave me a mandate, blah, 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 two months down the line, that person's gone. God told me to be here and be faithful in this, or, but... Many can claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. In this time and season, God's looking for faithful people. He's not looking for know-it-alls. He's looking for people that know what He said and told them to do, and they be faithful with what He give, has given them. Be faithful with the little, and be bold in that thing, and run with it, and hold fast to your profession. Amen. Um, wait, let me, number two. The lion cancels all your excuses for not becoming a leader or succeeding in life. Um, an army of sheep being led by a lion will always defeat an army of lions being led by a sheep. And that's why the Bible says it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. <laughs> Number three, the lion demands respect because of its attitude. Um... You might think, but an elephant can surely take on a lion. There's a, a country, uh, Namibia and parts of Botswana, there's lions that hunt elephants there. How can that be? The attitude. The lion has an attitude. You see, when the elephant sees the lion, he thinks, let me run. When the hippo sees the lion, that's the eater. But when the lion sees you, he thinks, lunch. Yeah, lunch. He's not worried about your horns or your power or your intelligence. He knows what he was created for. 
He knows he's the king. <laughs> and he demands respect. Amen. It doesn't mean you need to walk around in arrogance, but if you've been given an office, that office should be respected. And if people don't respect that office, you don't need to be casting your pearl towards in that direction. You understand? Some people, they, oh, why didn't you talk to them? They didn't ask me for my opinion. They know where I am. You understand? And uh, let me jump to the eagle quickly. The eagle doesn't flock. Jesus also had his personal friends and close ones. He preached to the multitudes, but the multitudes didn't get in the boat with him. It was just the disciples. God's only called us to a few people that we should disciple or should have in our lives that should be close to us. Some people can't handle certain things that go on in your life without judging you. Most people will bring you down instead of build you up. So you've got to know who to keep close. Amen. Eagles also, you know, you could find yourself flocking or chilling with a bunch of chickens. They'll always tell you you can't fly. And they're always talking. If you watch chickens in the... I used to look after chickens when I was a kid. Always talking. <laughs> so discouraging. When you look at a chicken, you think, man, that thing would make good lunch. You know? If you're an eagle and you're busy hanging out with chickens, you won't fly. Amen? And eagles fly higher than the rest. Yes, we get the condors and the vultures, but... Uh, an eagle also has something very interesting about the way it flies. It uses something called a thermal, which is heat in the air and heat rises. And the eagle has a way of flying without using a lot of energy. You see, we can fly in the will of God without having to use our own physical energy and trying to use our own works and our own abilities. If we know that we're covered by the blood and we've obtained grace and mercy, we can run with the vision God's given us. But if you run in with the wrong people, you're going to stay with the chickens. Because sometimes it's not, you know, we need to love people and we need to encourage them. But if you start hanging out with people with issues and you just make them that, those close people in your life, you're not going to go anywhere. You also need somebody that has personal caring in his life. You can't be the only one who cares in your circle. You need somebody around you that also cares for you and your well-being. You can't always be chasing, chasing, chasing. You need some people to lift you up too. So choosing who you do ministry with, who you do business with, who your friends are, it's not just, oh, just a rubbish decision. It's an important decision. It will define who you are. Amen. Um, attitude is a, pro a product of, of belief. You cannot have an attitude beyond your belief. That's why doctrine is so important. That's why when these preachers come and tell us about we are sons and daughters, it's more than just saying, oh, now you're a son and a daughter. No, it says now you have obtained favor. You're in the household. You can go to daddy now. And you understand? It's not just a sons and daughters message. There's something in it that's telling you right now your attitude needs to change. You're not a servant anymore. Amen. So we are a product of what we believe. Think about that. So if you don't want to get into the deep things of God, you'll be just a, produ a product of shallow, shallowness. But if you want to get into the deep things, certain deep things will start operating inside of you. I put this scripture down because 
we were speaking it about uh, speaking about it in um, men's breakfast and um, the Lord has been talking to me about prayer and stuff and just about having a boldness and saying decrees and making decrees and decreeing things over the land and and God gave me the scripture hast thou commanded the morning since thy day spring has thou shaken wickedness out of its high place and then the scripture that they mentioned I think it was brother John now unto him in Ephesians 3 verse 20 now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works inside of you we've been given a measurement of faith it's not like you waving the cloud to come and something's inside of you and you've got to work it don't act like there's not there's no value in you. i was watching this one preacher these people that preach all this strange fire they're just big party poopers this one guy came up to him and said i want to give my life and then he said it's not about your life it's about the gospel well the gospel is about people's lives and when you give your life and you sacrifice your life, there's a power working inside of you. There's a measurement given to every single one of us, a measurement of faith. And people have testimonies and people have sacrifices that they've made. And those things define who they are. That's why when some people preach, they have more anointing than others. So it is about your life. It is about what you cultivate. Does that make sense? So it's very important what decisions you make. You can't just say, oh, the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. The only time they, they always talk about the proclamation of the gospel, but the only thing they ever do is tell you about what you're doing wrong in the church. So why don't you do me a favor and tell us what to do right? And then, then they say, you can't, you can't sing the, uh, the Lord, uh, send your fire. That's judgment. Well, the Bible also talks about how the fire purifies gold. And that the Holy Spirit is a flame, a fire, burning the impurities out of us. Why wouldn't we want to sing that? Amen. Just a bunch of party poopers, I'm telling you. <laughs> the lion is the king because of what he believes about himself. That's a sonship message. Um... Your life is usually what you think you should be. Amen. Um, then I put there Ephesians 3.20. And um, I'll end off on this. Um, eagles also stand for honor. Don't be following people who don't embrace honor. You know, some people are just all about operating in gifts and this and that, but they can't honor the leader God has put over them. They can't honor the decision God has made in their lives. They can't honor that. Eagles have honor. And um, Catherine was speaking, and what I loved so much about Catherine's message is she was actually, for me, I was just thinking about the eagle. Do you know, eagles mature usually slower than other birds, but they live longer. And then the eagle, because I used to love birds when I was a kid, and I didn't think this was true until I actually went up and looked on it, that an eagle lives to about 40 years. And then after 40 years, it ha it either, there's two choices it gets to make. Two choices. Either the eagle can die, or it can fly to a high point, or a high tree, or a high mountain. And this is just... For me, Isaiah 40, and what it does is it starts to pluck out its feathers. 
it starts to knock its beak against the rock until it breaks its beak off and it gets to that, that place of near death. And the process is about six months. And if the eagle decides to go through that process, the eagle will add to itself another 30 years and live 70 years. Let's stand as we get ready to take our offering. And I'll read this scripture. Isaiah 40 verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Let's just hold up our offerings to the Lord. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, that we can be now partakers. We can partake in the kingdom. That we are all a family, Lord. And Father God, we thank you that what we are about to give and that what this ministry is about to receive will add to your works, will further the gospel and the kingdom. That more people, Father God, will start to give their lives for the word, for who you are, for the gospel. That more people, Lord, will give up those idols, those masters, Lord. We thank you for that, Father God. And we thank you, Lord, that it is about our lives. The reason why you came is it was because for God so loved the world, that God loves us, that he puts value to us. So, Father God, I just thank you for encouragement and for the attitude of the lion and the supernatural ability of the eagle. So, Father God, if any of us are weary, Father God, we just thank you that as we put our offering by faith, Father God, that you're going to renew our strength, Lord. That you're going to renew our joy. You're going to give us the garments of praise and the oil of joy, Father God. And Lord, I just speak your reign over the ground and over the seed that's about to be planted. In Jesus' name, amen. You can bring your offering. If you want to write a check out, write it to the gathering. Thank you. Well, I want you to go with me. I'm going to jump right in myself. Look with me, if you would, to Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. And, and I want to, you know, we spoke before that... There are many different aspects of prophetic ministry, the prophetic intercession, prophetic worship, you know, and, uh, but there's prophetic preaching. And uh, someone gave me a word back in my first, I don't know, I think it was the first message I ever preached when I was, you know, just a young guy. And they said, you're a prophetic preacher. I don't know, I just believed that was to be and I hung on to it. And, but I want to prophesy this morning, okay, can I do that? I want to prophesy out of what the Lord's given me. Because I believe it is a word. So Isaiah 29, and uh, I want us to notice two entirely different groups. We're going to begin in verse 13 in just a moment. But two different groups, say two. And I believe they're representative of many today of what's happening in the land. First of all, there are those who claim to know the Lord. They act like they know the Lord. They talk like they know the Lord. Sometimes they hang out with the people that know the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. You know, they may have the flavor. 
You know, you can go around to different denominations and groups, and many of those groups, the people in those groups have the same flavor. They, they use kind of the same language, you know, and uh, they may dress the same. We start doing that, we're going to mess stuff up here. We don't want to be the same. We want to be like Him. We're not following a movement. We're not following a church or a man. We're following Jesus. We're disciples of the Lord Jesus. But uh, this was it yesterday. Shirley and I watched this lady that uh, there's a movie coming out called Unplanned. And it's, and it's only going to be, and unfortunately, only so many theaters across the nation, only one in our area out over in Winston, but uh, it's about Planned Parenthood and what, what really is going on behind the scene. But this lady was a former director of Planned Parenthood. She's the one they made the movie about. Wasn't she, didn't they say, she was like woman of the year something? She was Planned Parenthood director of the year. That's exactly right. That's why, I, that's why she sits right there to remind me. That sounds much better than the woman of the year. She was the Planned Parenthood director of the year. But she's sharing her testimony. And she said the only way she could describe of what she had to do. And she described the process. And how after you remove all of the parts of the baby. And she would share how that when they put the, the you know, the instrument in that the, the baby would move. Now they were never allowed to use the word baby. In a Planned Parenthood clinic, it's a no-no. You could be banned for that. But uh, she would notice how the baby would try to get away from the instrument. And then, of course, you know the process. You rip up the parts of the baby. And her job was to put the parts of the baby back together to make sure they got everything. Because you didn't want to leave anything. And she would describe this. She says the most horrible thing. But she said it was like a blindness came over her. And what else she said? She said she went to church. She said Planned Parenthood wants people to go to church. Because it gives them a picture of being, you know, looking really good. We have churchgoers. Uh, but her heart, she said her heart was far from the Lord. And there was like a blindness, a coldness. And she would do that, and, and, but it was like an evil that would come over her. And then she shares a story of how she came out of it. And the scriptural reference, an example, is Matthew 7. Remember, it says, Jesus said, They prophesied in my name. They cast out demons in my name. They did many wonderful, mighty works in my name. But do you remember what Jesus said about that group? He said, He never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Their lifestyle or the fruit of their lives did not measure up to their confession. And, you know, really the key to that scripture in Matthew 7, after he says, you know, you did all these things in my name, but you never knew me. He said, depart from me those who practice lawlessness. So they were practicing lawlessness while they were claiming to know him. You know, that's not going to measure up. It doesn't meet the standard. You know, if you know the Lord, he's going to be your Lord. John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, keep my commandments and the really... The better translation is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, you know, we've seen recently about the rise of hate crimes in America. And there are not as many hate crimes as what they're telling us. But the most hated group often is unreported. That's against Jewish people. You know, that's the most one that's not really reported as much. There's some, they have no choice. 
But do you know, now there's also hate crime hoaxes. And we've seen an example of that recently. And the media did all they could to trumpet the hate crime hoax. You know, and it's really, God's going to, I'm telling you, I'm not going to go into great detail, but I'm telling you, God's about to answer the lies that are deceiving the innocent people of the land. God's going to rise up and be God. You talk about the fear of the Lord. Maybe many have lost it. There's going to be a day it's going to be restored. And there's going to be a reason that they fear God, because God's going to be God. Somebody told me one time, they said, you know, God is, God does a whole lot better job being God than you. And, uh, you know, that's true. But do you know where the largest number of hate crimes is committed in America today? Would you like to take a guess? In the churches of America. How do I know that? Look in Psalm 81, verse 15. I think we have that scripture. Psalm 81, verse 15. It says this. The haters of the Lord. I don't know if we have it. Maybe it didn't get to him. Psalm 81, 15, you can look it up. The haters of the Lord. Now, does that sound like a hate crime? The haters of the Lord would pretend obedience to Him. Let me read that again. How many many of you looked it up? Is that what your version says? The haters of the Lord would pretend obedience to Him. And then the second group are those who, they don't know the Lord. They don't want to know the Lord. They don't want anybody to tell them about the Lord. They're trusting in their own understanding. They make up the rules as they go. It's like in Judges, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. They live as if there's no tomorrow. And they're not going to give an account and no one's watching. And the example of that is in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... Remember that scripture. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them up. Now, that's the second group. Now, here's the good news. Anybody want to hear any good news? Because there's a lot of people that are lining up in those two groups. Those who profess to know Him, but they really don't know Him. Because their lives, they're practicing lawlessness. And then there are those who really don't want to have anything to do with Him. That was like the leadership of Planned Parenthood. You know, you can go to church, but don't you dare bring that church into this clinic. We don't want to have anything to do with that. And uh, so anyway, look, I'm going to show you the answer. Because I believe it's something that God wants to do about both groups. All right, are you with me? That's where we're going. We saw the two groups, and so God, what are you going to do about it? Well, this is what I believe the Scripture says that He wants to do about it. All right. Um, in fact, let me look in verse. Okay, verse. Let me just read the scriptures. Here's the first group. Therefore, the Lord said, "Inasmuch as these people draw near to me, near with their mouth, notice they draw near, and honor me with their lips. That's lip service. But have removed their heart far from me. You see that they they honored him with their lips. They drew near." And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Now, Jesus said in the, New, in the Gospels that the commandments of men make the Word of God of no effect. That's the, that's the reason many people, the Word seems to not work. There's no effect because they have a, they're following after commandments of men rather than the commandments of God. That's what the Scripture says. And um, then in look verse 15 here's and verse 16 here's a second group woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord and their works are in the dark they say who sees us 
And who knows us? Surely you have things turned around. And that's what the Lord would say today. You've got everything backwards. You think I'm not watching. You think I don't know what goes on behind in a Planned Parenthood clinic. God knows it all. He knows it well. And He's been exposing it. And some Americans are finally listening. They're starting to wake up that this is worse than we ever were known, we ever were told. But he goes on, he says, uh, they say, who sees us? Verse 16, surely you have these things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? And so they're following after their own understanding. So what's God going to do about it? Well, look in verse, in verse 14. Here's what God's going to do. Therefore, now if you've been around here long enough, you know when you see the word therefore, you're to ask the question, what is it therefore? Okay, so this is the answer to the two groups that he discusses. Therefore, behold, I will again. Say again. God will again. He's the God that does again and again and again. Aren't you glad? He, he pursues us. Again and again and again. He's the God of again. And he's a, he's a God that can also bring another great spiritual awakening to this land. He's the God of again. I will again do a marvelous work among this people. What people? Both groups. The group in verse 13 that drew near with their lips, but their heart was far from him. And in beginning with verse 15, they didn't want anything to do with God. I will again do a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of this wise shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. In other words, God is going to do something neither group was looking for. Does sound like a pretty good plan? God has an answer. I'm telling you, He's going to do something. And He's going to do, what He's going to do is a marvelous work and a wonder. Now, I'm prophesying this because it's out of the Scripture. How can you prophesy? Look, if you, if you read God's Word... And you believe it, guess what you're doing? You're prophesying, you're prophetically declaring, thus saith the Lord. I remember in, in seminary, you know, we used to ask, or at least I used to ask, where are those that are going to rise up and say, thus saith the Lord again? Well, they're doing it now. So I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord. All right, here's the answer. Verse 17. It is not yet a little while. Say a little while. Now he said, it's not yet a little while. Till Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest. Now, in the place of Lebanon, you could put the name of your city, your nation, your family. You know, I'm going to insert. I believe it's all right. I'm not necessarily taking it out of context. I believe God wants to do something over the whole earth. And he says, so I'm going to say, it's not yet a little while until Moravian Falls shall be turned into a fruitful field. And the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest. Now you can say that over your life. It's just a little while. This is it. The gospel is the gospel of now. Now is the day of salvation. This is the day. This is the time. And we shared with you when we went to uh, Germany how, you know, it was this divine setup. We were invited to this conference in East Germany, and then they, no, West Germany. Then they took us to East Germany. Thank you, wife, for setting me straight. I really am grateful for that. Yeah, there's a difference from the East and the West. You know, that's how he tosses our sin to the East and the West. But anyway, they took us to East Germany. 
and uh, to Herrenhood. And I shared with you how that on the, the tombstone of Nicholas von Zinzendorf, you know, the one who actually gave refuge to the Moravians when they were being persecuted. And also, he was responsible for the revival that broke out among the Moravians and the mission movement. I mean, he had a very key instrumental part. But on his tombstone, it says, you know, that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Guess what? He lived up to it. He died up to it. It's still happening. There's still fruit that remains from his life. The first command that God gave man in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. And he's not rescinded that command, has he? It's still to us. You and I are to be fruitful and to multiply. Now look over in John chapter 15. John 15. Everybody with me? Don't go to sleep. We often say that. Nobody. We don't let anybody go to sleep here. It does not happen. We'll come out. No, we won't do anything. Some, somebody may have not got a wink of sleep all night. This is the only place you could get some sleep, so feel free. You know, there's room. Just sprawl out. You know, we don't care. Just maybe your spirit. Maybe you need a good another 20 minutes of sleep. Look in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He does what? He takes it away. Cuts it off. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there's a, first of all, in verse 2, there's a group, they don't bear any fruit, and so He just takes away. In fact, Jesus said, to those that have, more will be given. To those that don't have, even what they have will be taken from them. We really have no choice about our lives. We are to be fruit bearers. It's the command of the Lord. So there's the one that bears no fruit, then the one that bears fruit, some fruit. And then what does he do with that? And we've often mentioned this. God or the Lord comes along, the vine dresser, and he prunes. We don't have a say-so in the matter. Even if we disagree with God, if you bear a little fruit, he will come along and prune you. You'll think all hell has come against you. No, it's the pruning of the Lord. It's the kingdom of God. This is how it works. So he prunes so that you'll do what? You'll bear more fruit. And then it says, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 5, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So no fruit, little fruit, more fruit. Much fruit. Then in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you may bear what? Much fruit. So you will be my disciple. What that really means, so you will prove yourselves to be true followers of mine. Now this is, this, these, these words are in, in red. So it's what the Lord said. You will prove yourself. Now regarding fruit, there's no fruit. Then there's some fruit. Then there's a little more fruit. Then there's much fruit. And that's what glorifies him, right? It glorifies him that we get to the point, so you have to go through the prunings so you can bear much fruit. And then the Father is glorified, and you will prove that you are his follower. But then it doesn't stop there. It goes on. It talks about fruit that will remain. Now, I want to speak prophetically over your life, over the churches 
that are listening. I don't know who's listening, wherever you're coming from. But I'm telling you, get ready, get ready, get ready. This is a season of much fruit. Much fruit. Much fruit. More fruit. Much fruit. And uh, God's determined it, that it would be. All right, say, no fruit. Say, that's not me. Say, some fruit. Say, that used to be me. Say, more fruit. That's me, but I'm not stopping. Then say, much fruit. Say, that's me. And my fruit will remain. Amen. So we can go back to Isaiah 29. And it's not yet a little while until Moravian Falls, until America, I'm telling you, shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest. A forest is a thickened forest, you understand, compared to the fruitful field. Much fruit, more fruit that will remain. Now, verse 18, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. The deaf shall hear the words of the book. I think I've shared with you before sitting on the plane, it's a number of years ago, and I always, you know, get my Bible out, especially in those days, and I, I still do it, but I just read my Bible when I'm... No, I don't know, though. Today, you take your Bible out of an airplane, they allow it to throw you off the plane. But in those days, you could read your Bible. And you can still do it today. Just be bold. What are they going to throw you out? If, well, who cares? I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean they're not going to throw you out. And if they did, you just get to see him face to face. Anyway, but this day I'm reading my Bible and the guy's sitting next to me. He looks at me and says, you know, I've tried to read that book and I never could understand it. Now, you know what that is to a preacher? That's a bingo invitation. Duh, this is great. You know, so, oh, by the way, can I show you something? Look, look over in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3. So I began to share with him about this. But he says in verse 14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses, or the Old Covenant, is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is what? It's taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Why does he insert that verse? Because it's only the Holy Spirit that can remove the veil. And it says, but we, with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Say, from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, there are people that translate that from glory to glory, you know, one degree of glory to the next. How many of you know that's not really what that's talking about? It's another one of those cliches in the body of Christ. Now, it sounds good, glory to glory, to faith. I mean, it is, there is faith to faith, all of that. But in this text, he's just talking about from the glory of the old covenant, where it was veiled, to the glory of the new covenant, where the veil is removed. How many of you see that? It's in the context of Scripture. We have to preach the Word like it is. But it's okay for those that say from glory to glory. Because I know I've done that many times myself. And then down in verse uh, uh, verse 3 of chapter 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe the light of the gospel of the glory of, of Christ. But 
It says, in that day, the death shall hear the words of the book. And the key is by the Spirit. The death are going to begin to hear and they're going to begin to see. The blind are going to begin to see. Now, it's interesting in that he says they will hear the words of the book. Can I go after another religious cliche? I've heard so many people. I'm just going to be honest. And I, I mean, that's the only way I know to be. But, and I've always, when, when I hear this, there's an irk inside of me. Because what they're doing actually is calling, they're just pacifying me in that crowd, accusing me of having a religious spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you what they'll say. They'll say, now, now for, they'll preach. They'll give all their opinion, and they'll say, now, for those of you that have to have a scripture. I want to give you a scripture now because you have to have a scripture. In other words, this is for the religious crowd. I want to pacify you with a scripture. I've told you all you need to know. Now we will throw in a scripture so I can, you know, chalk up one. That sounds really good, but you know what it says to me? First of all, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth, not out of your mouth, but out of the mouth of God. How do you get the mouth of God? You look at the Scriptures. That's a cop-out. You know what Paul told Timothy? He didn't say, preach your opinion and then throw in a Scripture to pacify the religious. He said, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke and, re and uh, reprove and all these things. He said, the time will come when they'll have itching ears. They'll no longer want to hear, you know, the truth. But they'll acquire for themselves teachers that tell them great, marvelous stories to tickle them their ears and uh, demand, demand no repentance. But he goes on, that's not what that scripture says, but in, it really does. We got to hear every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. You know, faith comes by hearing. And hearing not by somebody's word, but by the word of God. Now you hear that. I could promise you there's a crowd in America that if they heard me say that, they would say, you're religious. Because I've been there. And I've heard them. No, listen. I'm going to preach the Word of God. He told me to preach the Word. My opinion doesn't matter. If my opinion lines up with the Word, then it's, it's okay. If my prophetic experience lines up with the Word, it's okay. You can share that as an illustration to build it up. But you preach the Word. Amen. Okay. So the deaf are going to hear the words of the book. All of a sudden, the people sitting next to you on the plane, they're just going to say, you know, as you're picking your, you started reading your Bible, I started hearing scriptures in my mind. I don't know what's going on. Somebody, God's, somebody's speaking to me. I don't know. It's just going to happen. And then the eyes of the blind will see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Remember the man when asked who gave, you know, the disciples, they said, or the uh, Pharisees, who gave you the sight? You know, this Christ, this Christ, this, this guy, he's not really the Christ, this Jesus. So they go to the parents and they say, you know, uh, how, did, how did he get his sight? The parents, I don't know if they were just tossing the buck, you know. Why don't you go ask him? He's of age. Go ask him where he got his sight from. And so, you know, they go, they say, give glory to God, this man is a sinner. And uh, he said, well, I don't know. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. That's up for you guys, you know, basically, you religious folks to determine. But all I know, I once I was blind, and but now I see. And I'm telling you, people are going to see. Just like that director, former 
director of the year of Planned Parenthood. She was blinded for all those years. And then all of a sudden, God opened her eyes. And she began to see. And we prophesy that the ears are not only going to hear the words of the book, but the blind are going to see out of obscurity and out of darkness. And it's getting dark. Now, obscurity is like the dusk. Darkness, that's the real dark. And I'm telling you, it used to be, I mean, what was it, like five years ago? I mean, it was pretty dark. But now, it's getting darker and darker by the moment. Now you read, you, you get up in the morning, you look, you used to read the paper. I threw the papers away a long time. I don't read the papers. I don't trust any of them. I don't trust what I'm holding in my hand myself. But I do go to some, you know, alternative sites. And even those sites, it's getting darker and darker and darker. You gotta put this little cell down. You gotta pick up the book that'll give you the hope and give you the answers. But I prophesy the death are going to begin to see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Now let's go back. Isaiah, you still with me? Chapter 19. So the Lebanon shall be turned to fruitful field. The deaf shall hear the words of the book. The eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity. And the humble shall also increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in what? In who? In the Holy One of Israel. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy in the Lord, in His marvelous works, will do a wonder. That's a wonder when you begin to see the greatness of God, the majesty of God. And we've said often, I believe there's going to be a day people are going to be lined up at the door to get in here to share their testimony of the wonderful work that God has done for them out there in the streets. Amen. Because He will do some things here, but He'll do a whole lot more out there. Because there's a whole lot more out there that's in, in, than in here. Amen. You guys, I hope you're still hanging in there. And then look at this. For the terrible one. Say the terrible one. That's the terrifying one. Shall be, or one, the terrible one is brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed. Now, you know who the terrible one is, don't you? It's, it's the father of the lies. It's the real director of Planned Parenthood. I mean, it's the real one who directs rebellion against the host of heaven. I mean, this is the one. Do you know that you're either becoming more and more part of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're becoming more and more part of the spirit of Antichrist? That line is getting thinner, I'm telling you, or maybe broader, deeper. Because you're either going to love Jesus. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're going to be against me. And those that are against him are going to be just what we read in Isaiah. They're going to be more against him than they've ever been. But we're prophesying that God's going to interrupt the plans of the terrible one. Remember in Isaiah 14, and we won't go there now. You can look at it later. But Satan said, I, you know, will exalt myself. I'm going to reach to the highest. And I will be like the most high God. How many of you remember that? And then it says in that scripture, it talks about how, is this the man that shook the nations? Remember that scripture? Is this the one that wrecked havoc in, in the land? Is this the one? People are going to be stunned and shocked. Dylan was talking about lions. My, my friend, he's a young man. He's gonna, he wants to move here from Colombia. And, um, 
William and his young wife, and they need a place to stay. They need an apartment. They're going to come join our team and be a part. I don't know. William's a, I'm telling you, he's a prophetic, young, radical, you know. My own thought is, you know, stay in Colombia as long as you can because they need, I mean, Venezuela's next door. Maybe you could just slip over the border, just go and turn that nation upside down. He's the kind of guy that could do that. And so maybe he'll do some of that, but he's going to come here. He wants to live here. Wants to be a part because of what God showed him is going to happen here and happen in America. So we're going to make a way. I, we'll find, I mean, I can renovate my shed. I'll figure out some way. We'll, you know, no, somebody, somebody here is going to have a place for young William and his young bride. But anyway, he sent me a vision. And he said in this vision, he, 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 he got some pictures too so I could see it. And, uh, but it was a skinny lion. A lion, you could see the bones. And then there was a lion, there was big, bold, strong, beef muscle. And you know, that's what the devil is, the skinny lion. He says he roams around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But you and I have been called to roar with the lion of Judah. And uh, God's doing it this hour. And then it says, and all who watch for iniquity are cut off. Now, this is where it gets interesting. This is what I saw of how it relates to today. All of it relates. But in Hebrew, those who watch for iniquity are those who pant. They exert themselves after wickedness. They're seeking to promote wickedness in the land are going to be cut off. How many of you know there's a day when you're going to look for the wicked, but you won't find them? How many of you know that's in the Scripture? That's why wickedness is manifesting itself so that the wheat and the tares will, will come to harvest. The tares are going to be made known. And God's going to have the final word in America, isn't He? He's going to have the final say-so. But I want to show you this. Look in Isaiah. If you lost the Scripture, go back. It says in verse 21, Who make a man... Now, this is the wicked. They're promoting their wickedness. Verse 21, Who make a man an offender by a word. In other words, they will make a man or a woman into a racist, into a bigot, into whatever they want you to be by the words that they speak. Have you seen any of that lately? And then it goes on. Who make a man an offender as if they're a sinner, whatever, by their word and lay a snare, a trap for him who reproves in the gate. One who sits in the gate, that's leadership, eldership. Someone in authority. And so they will not only speak a word to get you to think that that person, and that's the accuser of the brethren, is a racist or whatever, but they will lay a trap so as to snare him. And then it says, and turn aside the just by empty words. Does anybody else see what I'm seeing? The just, who are those? The innocent. The innocent that watch CNN are turned away by the empty words the lies, but God's about to say, I've had enough of it. I'm telling you, He has. And I know that, you know, governments are supposed, they used to, biblically, a government has been given the, the mandate for the punishment of evildoers. If they don't do it, what happens? The evildoers will get away with evil in the land. I'll give you another example. Jeremiah, it talks about, it says, you know, let grace be shown to the wicked 
They will not learn righteousness. If the hand of the Lord is lifted up, then those who are promoting wickedness, unless justice comes, their injustice, their injustice will spread throughout the land. I'm going to show you that more and more in detail later on. But I found a scripture in Exodus, and this is how I've got to get all this down because I've got to lead the presidential prayer watch in this. But Exodus talks about when injustice comes into the land, what happens? That you're not to promote, you know, stories that are untrue. And what will happen? The injustice. In other words, wrap it up, put it like this. If the government doesn't do what it's supposed to do, punish evildoers, God is going to rise up. His justice is going to be made known in the land against the evildoers. It's going to happen. God is God. He's not going to be mocked. You know, you mock Him. They're mocking Him. He said, don't mock Let me tell you, don't mock Him. Because whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. But before he does it, he's going to give us one more chance to go after the most hardened of the hardened to the gospel. With the love of God, this is the time like we've never known before. You know, I saw... And Rick Joyner, of course, has been writing about it, and maybe you've been reading, but I saw just, what, two days ago, an article in the Washington Post, Friday, March the 1st. Here's the title of the article. In America, talk turns to something unspoken for 150 years, civil war. And, of course, you know what they're blaming. You know, they're blaming the president that he's the cause of the civil war. And anyway, it just shows me... Listen, guys, we got to run this race while we have time to run it. We got to run and we got to run and we got to run so as to win. And we're going to win it. You know, I want to talk more about this later, but remember in 2 Samuel 24, verse 14, and David's sin was brought to the task. And the prophet came to David. He said, Okay, you choose. You got three options as to how God's going to deal with your sin. You remember the three options? The first one was, okay, seven years of famine in the land. Okay, number one. Option number two. You get to flee from your enemies three months as they begin to pursue you. Option number three, you get three days of plague in the land. Do you remember how David responded? He said, please, let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for He is merciful. But do not let me fall into the hand of men. And I'm telling you, Right now, we need to fall into the hand of the Lord. Now's the time. God does not need to remove His hand. He needs, His justice must be made known. He's merciful. If God turns us over to the hand of men, it will not be as good. But God has a plan. He's got a final word. And now go back to the scripture in Isaiah. Then it says, therefore, verse 22, Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not... Now be ashamed. Who's Jacob? Yes, and also, whatever was written beforehand was written for our example on whom the ends of the ages have come. And so it's those who have a covenant with God. Those who have a real covenant. Not those who draw near to Him with their, their mouth, but their heart is far from Him. But they have a covenant. It says, Jacob shall not now be ashamed in Israel, nor shall his face now grow pale. In other words, his countenance will not grow pale. God's going to cause his countenance to shine upon his people. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands 
in his midst. That's God's hands. Sounds like a great harvest is going to come forth. They will hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob. In other words, the God of harvest, the God of his people. Does anybody else see this? And they will fear the God of Israel. There's the fear of the Lord. All the time that this is going on, there will be a people who will fear God. They will hallow his name. And we're going to see a great harvest when they see his children, the work of his hands. They will begin to shout and go crazy because God is the only one who could have done that. Then look in verse 24. Those who also erred in spirit will come to understanding. Now, who are, they, who are those that err in spirit? Well, think about it. There's the spirit, soul, and the body. Now, you err in your body when you, you eat sugar like we did this morning. Does that make sense? You err in your soul. Your soul, what? Your, your mind, your will, and emotions. You know, when you allow these thoughts and you don't take them captive... You know, and this lust or whatever, you know, you can err in the soul. That's why the scripture talks about to the saving of the soul. You know, even our soul is going to be saved. The mind, the will, and emotions. We have our mind renewed daily by the word of God. But the only way that I could figure you could err in spirit is your spirit could not have been born again. It must not have been made new. So he's talking about, again, he's going back to the harvest. Those that erred in spirit are going to come to understanding. A great harvest of souls is going to come forth. And then it says at the end of verse 24, this is a great way to end it. It says, and those who complained will learn doctrine. Who are those? The murmurers. The churches are full of them. The murmurers, the complainers. They're finally going to learn the doctrine, the truth. They're going to be taught. They're going to become real disciples. And God's going to do a great thing. So what am I saying in this text? I'm saying, yes, there's a people that draw near to him with their mouth, but their heart is far from him. Yes, there are people that don't want anything to do with him. They don't want anything to do with me and you. They don't want to hear what we have to say. But God's going to do something in verse 14 one more time again. He's going to do a marvelous and a wonderful work. And he's going to rise up in the land. He's going to, we're going to see it happen in verse 17. That it's just yet a little while until America shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, the word of God. Now I'm prophesying this. You agree with me? Say amen or something. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall, what? They shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. And the humble shall also increase their joy What? In the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice. In who? The Holy One of Israel. There's going to be great rejoicing among the saints of God. While the world is mourning, the saints are going to be rejoicing. How can that be? Because we're in a different kingdom. We're not in a kingdom that's being shaken. We're in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. And then it says, the terrible one will be brought to nothing. Now, I'm prophesying that. The terrible one in this land shall be brought to nothing. We're going to see that he that brought havoc, wrecked havoc into the land is going to be dealt with. The saints of God are rising up. And then the scornful one will be consumed 
And all who watch for inequity are going to be cut off. And who make those who make an offender by a word and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate and turn aside the just by empty words. And then in verse, Jacob shall not now be ashamed. He shall, his face shall not now grow pale. His face now grow pale. And when he sees his children, the work of his hands in their midst, they will hallow his name and they will hallow the Holy One of Israel, the fear of the God of Israel. And those who erred in spirit will come to understanding and those who complain will finally learn the truth. Amen. I'm prophesying that. I don't, I'm just telling you. I went a little longer than I wanted to go. But we almost did it. But let's pray. Let's just ask God to seal this, okay? And, and Lord, we thank You. We thank You, God, that You're mighty in our midst. You're the Holy One of Israel. You're the Mighty One of Israel. And Lord, we pray, we cry out, God, for our nation this morning. God, we cry out for America, that America would be saved. That, God, one more time, the gospel would be trumpeted across the land, from the north to the south to the east and the west. And, Lord, we thank you that we've been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. And that you positioned us and you are positioning us for the greatest move of God. Lord, we thank you the final testimony will not just be about those whose hearts were hardened or those whose hearts were far from you. God, we thank you that greatest testimony will be about the marvelous work and wonder that you accomplished on Calvary and you will accomplish once again in this hour and in this day. And we thank you, Lord. It is yet but a little while. There will be this place and the churches of our land and our nation will again become a fruitful field. And the fruitful field will be esteemed as a forest. So, God, we thank you. We trust you. We believe in you. In Jesus' name. And I pray you'd encourage everyone this morning in this place. Those that are watching. And you would do it, Lord. You would be lifted up. In Jesus' name. I want Jesus to stand. And I want us... I, I just really felt this morning we're to... We're to have a time around the altar. If you meet, if you meet any of these conditions, first of all, if you're watching by web stream, you know, we don't know how many people have come to the Lord. You know, we know some and we know we've heard the fruit of it. But we don't know how many. But in this hour, there's the nets are being cast. And if you're not sure that you know Jesus, you're not certain this day that if you died, you would spend eternity in heaven. You've been to the cross and you've confessed your sin and you know you've been forgiven. If you're not certain of that, we want to invite you to come and let this be the day of salvation. Then secondly, if you're here but you've grown cold, you're not where you used to be. You know you've been drawing near to Him with your heart, with your mouth, but there's places in your heart that have been far from Him. And God wants to break those places. He wants to redeem those places. This is a day of fresh surrender. If that's you, I want you to come. And then also... You just want to meet God this morning. If you have a need that only God can meet. How I many of you know things that are impossible with man are still possible with God? They are possible. And we're going to believe that. I feel like God has just told me to 
You walk out on the limb in this hour. You believe me for things that are utterly, absolutely, almost ridiculous to the ears of men. But you call on me and you believe me and you trust me. So we're going to pray for people this morning for miracles to happen. And then others, if you just need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, you need a fresh touch from God, God's going to do it today. All right? So you come. If if any of those meet you, I want you to come and we're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to worship and then we're going to pray. And I believe God's going to show up here mightily, powerfully. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. Go ahead and sing, God. Let's go ahead.